0: Teaching is from the Warriors Heart Bible Study for Men. You can find us on the web at warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day. I don't know how many of you guys are like me, but I have a lot of different contexts in which I live my life. There's the seminary context, there's the church context, and when I go to another kind of ministry, there's that context. And uh, when I was gone from you guys a couple weeks ago, there was a new contact that I was in, and it's it's a gathering of people who do, do, who are teachers of Bible and theology in different seminaries and colleges around the the world. And when I'm walking among a couple thousand people, and I hear my name, and I turn, of course, and I see a face, it's smiling, and looks like they're my friend, and I have no clue who they are, and. And you're saying to yourself, "Hey, nice to see you, brother." That's the best part about being a Christian. If you forget their name, you just you just call them brother, and you're golden. And then after a couple of minutes of conversation, things start to seem familiar again, and then you you start to connect. And I don't know, I don't know if that's your kind of situation where your memory is not your best asset. So, for me, I've recognized that a long time ago. And, and when God gave me my wonderful wife, Yvonne, she's really good at those kinds of details. She remembers names. She remembers dates. She remembers uh, anniversaries. She remembers birthdays, situations. And so, when we're together, uh, she's always, she's got the cue. She knows when she sees someone, she says her name really loudly, like, George, so good to see you. How are things back in Timbuktu? And she gives, all, gives me all these clues, so then I kind of pick up on all that stuff. Now, one of the things that I've always wondered about is how in the world can I take advantage of my weaknesses? Because it seems like that's one of the keys about Scripture. I mean, how can we use a forgetfulness as a part of something that we can advance and, and uh, push our ministry forward as a representative of Jesus Christ? Well, I, I started going through the, the Internet again and, and did some fun things with regard to uh, pictures, and I was just uh, putting in there forgetfulness and trying to figure out whether or not I could see some images that could link ourselves to, to what the lesson's going to be about. And I, I love this. This is a, this probably ought to be my new life motto. Uh, the, the, the secret of happiness is to have a bad memory. Well, I've got half of that already done. So the the concept of it sometimes is blissful ignorance, and um, uh, there there's just almost endless opportunities to see the humor in this kind of deal. Here's two ladies, uh, and one of them just says, my memory's bad. Well, how bad is it? How bad is what? <laughs> so there, there's a, a strong sense where that kind of feature might be something that we as men can relate to even before we get to our senior years. It just comes with the territory of being a guy. We just don't uh, process a lot for the purpose of our future use. Well, there was a couple of uh, there were two elderly couples enjoying a meal at one of their homes, and uh, the meal was delicious. And when the meal was over, the two women, of course, retired into the kitchen to take care of all, all the dishes and the things that the women do in the kitchen. And the, the two men sat there at the dining room table, sipping coffee. And uh, the one guy he he speaks to the other one and says, "Oh, Charlie, I wanted to tell you. Last night we went to the greatest restaurant. The food was really good." The food was really cheap, and the service was absolutely amazing. And so his friend says, well, uh, Charlie says, uh, well, tell me, what in the world, what, what, in the, what was the name of the restaurant? And, and the guy says, you know, that's just it. You know, I just had it here in the front of my mind, and it was, it's at the tip of my tongue, and I just can't quite remember what it is. And he thought for a moment, and he says, now, what, what's the name of that red red flower, the real romantic red flower with the thorns on the stem? And Charlie says, you mean a rose? And the guy says, yeah, yeah, that's it, a rose. And he turns around toward the kitchen and he says, hey, Rose, what was the name of that restaurant we went to last night? We, we try to compensate for a bad memory, and it's one of those kinds of things where forgetfulness becomes a reality in our life and we have to make some kind of adjustments. How in the world can we remember something? If we tie a string onto our finger and try to remember something, then maybe it's a, it's a benefit or a blessing. Well, I'd like to camp on that one idea because it's a theme that I see here in Joshua chapter 4. And it's the one theme that I want us to help us think about how we can make our lives more impactful in the lives of the men and the lives of people that we're going to be meeting on a regular basis. As you know, our desire here at this study is not just to make ourselves smarter, not to become more of an expert on the scripture that is a focal point of our study. But instead, we're going to try to do some very, very precise studies so that we could figure out how we can impact the lives of other people. So from this day forward into the next seven days, God's going to bring into your circumference of influence uh, probably a number of individuals. And we want to see how we can let God use us to touch those lives for eternity, some way, somehow. A conversation, an impression maybe a a very deliberate favor in their life, an activity where we embrace the lives of other people, just so we get off the dime of not just going through life and being invisible to others, but because we have so much in our spirit that can be very useful for someone's eternity. And, And if we multiply by all the guys that are here, then maybe by God's grace, the city of Houston will start to change. And if we can just change the number of people, not because of what we do, but because of what we let God do through us, and we just multiply that impact in amazing ways, then maybe the city of Houston can be wonderfully known for what Jesus Christ is doing. And that's, that's our ultimate goal. So as I contemplate that whole idea and I read through uh, Joshua 4, this is the thought that comes to my mind, the forgetfulness of us as human beings and how we can use that as an advantage to be a witness and a testimony and an influence to impact the lives of other people. So here's our idea from Joshua 4, monuments to help us remember, so that we can jog our memory, so that our life can somehow engage the lives of other people in ways in which their curiosity is ready, giving them the initiative to ask a question, that there's something in our life that can bring them to a point of realizing, here's something here in this person's life. And it's interesting. What is this? And then to hear an explanation to maybe whet the appetite of the curious person to set them off on an opportunity for us to engage in a conversation about things that are eternal. And then to point them to the need without pressure, without being hard sale, but just giving answers to the curiosities and the needs and the burdens of people like that. So memory devices are there to help fading memories and all of us need some kind of memory boost. Uh, I'm in seminary education, and we're coming up to the end of our semester in another week and a half, and our students are craving a way in which they can advance their memory ability. And it's uh, one of those things that, well, you know, if you had done a little bit every day, it would be a lot easier. But if you wait to the last couple of weeks, a little tougher. But at least in the last couple of weeks, you could probably remember more by concentration than just blowing it off. But how in the world could we help ourselves get our memories a little bit better? Well, our attention is going to be turned to Joshua chapter 4, and one of the amazing things about this particular passage of Scripture, and I put up some of the key thoughts from this very large section, you'll just know a a threefold repetition by what God does in His Word. The first thing that we have in chapter 4 is when God speaks to Joshua and says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go into the middle of the river with some selected man and pick out 12 stones. And I want you to bring them over here, and I want you to build a little monument so you won't forget what happened on this special day. So, not just for you, but when your children ask, what in the world is this pile of stones for? You can tell them what happened. One of the most amazing things that we've learned in Joshua so far in the first three chapters is that the only kind of obedience that God knows is immediate obedience. Slow obedience is no obedience. So Joshua is one of these amazing examples of guys that when God told him to do something, Joshua did it. No debate, no argument, no, well, what if this or what if that, there's no procrastination. When a man of God who's called by God to represent God gives a clear word, gets a clear word from God, he obeys it. Immediate obedience is the only obedience that a godly man knows. And you see that illustrated for us here in Joshua chapter 4, when God says, this is what I want you to do, the Bible then says to us, so Joshua called. So we have the do so. We will do whatever it is that God wants us to do, and we see that here repeated. So Joshua called. He just understood what God wanted, and he immediately acted, his obedience was instantaneous. And so Joshua goes to the nation of Israel and says, this is what you are supposed to do. Go to that middle of that river when you're passing over. You individuals that I selected, you pick up a stone from the middle of the river and bring it over to the other side. We're going to build a little monument so that we will remember what has happened this day. And when our children ask us, what happened? What's this pile of stones for? We can tell them. We can teach them. We can testify to them what in the world has happened. And in the nation of Israel, they didn't argue with Joshua. They didn't ask him, well, what about this? Clarify that. They didn't procrastinate. They didn't do a analysis paralysis. They just simply went and did what God's leader instructed them to do. So you have this three-fold repetition of this idea of when they crossed the River Jordan during the, during the flood season on dry ground, they did not want to forget what miracle God had performed. So they picked up these stones as directed by God, directed through Joshua, and they piled them up in a little bit of a a monument on the other side of the river so that they would see it and they would remember. And when their children saw it, they could teach them what happened historically here at an amazing intrusion of God's supernatural intervention. Now there's uh, something that we should be asking ourselves as we think about how we're going to move through this section of Scripture and that very simple uh, lesson is when God has done some things for us in our past, have we forgotten how remarkable it was? When God pulled us out of a, out of a ditch, when God circumvented the situation and circumstances that we were facing, and it was very clear that God did something special for us, have we forgotten that and we've just moved on to the next problem? Instead of remembering what God has done. Well, this is an amazing lesson from the Word of God that has impacted my life and has changed the routine of how I live my life. God always wants us to remember without question. So when he told them to take up these 12 stones in the Jordan from the very spot of the crossing to commemorate a miracle, he wanted them to think about this whole idea, I never want you to forget what I did for you today. Because if I do a miracle for you every hour, the miracle suddenly becomes normal. But if I have these interventions in your life, you will never forget that I am your almighty God and I can do whatever it takes for the circumstances to unfold so you could live a life of obedience for me. God never wants us to forget. He always wants us to remember what he has done for us. And when you get these stones, I want you to put them in a place here tonight so that you can reflect over the amazing hand of God's provision even though we find tremendous relief when God intervenes, does that relief follow through with deep reflection? Don't just camp on the relief. Don't just say, man, I caught that football in the end zone and we won the game. Don't just say, "Ah, I got that sale and the contract is signed. There ought to be deep reflection over God's intervention to give to us something from Him just for us So that we would always remember him. It's not the event. So the repetition of those events is not as critical as remembering that God intervened on our behalf. Serve as a sign. This is supposed to be something that the nation of Israel could enjoy for many days and for many generations. People need visuals to jog their memory. That's key to this passage of scripture. It's key to the lesson that we're going to be focusing our attention on today visuals are key to our memory. So God's going to affirm the fact that Joshua is the chosen leader of the nation of Israel. This miracle, this rather rare opportunity for the nation of Israel to not only experience the crossing of the Red Sea, but now crossing also the River Jordan at flood season. God is going to intervene for the purpose of lifting Joshua before the nation of Israel as God's chosen leader. The affirmation that this man Joshua is in tune with God is now therefore a reason for us to follow him. 40,000 men who were armed for battle crossed over and they acted as one with a military resolve. Unity among those who are capable of fighting is not an easy thing to accomplish. For any one of those as individuals, if they were to rebel against one who said, I am your leader, if that one individual could take us out, it is an astounding phenomenon that there is no unity among the fighting individuals. When we think about what the Lord says here, the Lord exalted, it was the Lord's doing, Joshua in the sight of all Israel. The blessing that God gave to Joshua on his leadership was by divine initiative. It's one of the great privileges we have, by the way, if, if you are here and part of Houston's First, there is something very special about the pastor that God has given to us. And God has his hand on that man, and if you ever get a chance to express your loyalty and your appreciation for him, don't hesitate to do it. Because the pressure of seven or 8,000 people on one person who's our pastor, that is overwhelming. And there's not only God blessing his life, but also probably the evil one who would love to trip him up in any way, fashion, or form. And for all of you who are here from another church, think about your pastor. If you can support with loyalty and devotion to the one that God has elevated in order to lead the many, that is a great, great privilege that we have to support them. The scripture tells us that the people revered him as they revered Moses, and this is exactly what God wanted. A big thumbs up to this guy named Joshua. He took over after a very successful leader. The last part of uh, what I want to focus on as far as the teaching of the, of the information of the, of the Scripture itself is what in the world we can do to make sure that God's presence, not just what he did, not just his act of a miracle intervention, but what God means to us becomes the focal point of what this lesson is all about. They set their feet on dry ground during this very, very difficult time during the rainy season and the flood time the nation, uh, of the nation of the River Jordan. And if uh, you've ever done any fishing and forded a river, it's one thing to get through the water. It's another thing to get through the muddy ground underneath the water. And to ever have your leg sink all the way down to your knee and try to pull it up and just the suction of, of the situation gets you a little nervous. And what do, what do you feel like as a man when you suddenly realize that, man, if, if I can't get my leg up out of here and the water rises or I fall in and can't get back up, this is a life in this situation. You suddenly feel the limitations of your, morality, of your mortality. I remember doing that, and I left my, I left my waiter in the, in the water because I didn't want to go under. And I remember that moment of panic and thinking to myself, okay, I'm going to leave this, my waiters here because I can't get them out, but I can get out. Well, there's a strong sense here where God is going to give the nation of Israel a realization of getting through the water beginning through on dry ground so that when they got to the other side, they actually had to probably shake the dust off their feet. Now, there's there's some mental images and memory features here that the nation of Israel is absolutely stunned. That God did this for them, and it's a miracle. And the fantastic part of this is how in the world, then, can you find an opening from the standpoint of dealing with something that we will forever remember? A miracle of... Twelve stones of the twelve tribes of the nation of Israel. With a simple testimony like this, they got through on dry ground. The Lord your God, and we remember that combination in our English language. You don't even have to know Hebrew here at this point, because all of that kind of uh, presentation of the word of God is very powerful. The word Lord, all capital letters, Jehovah, Yahweh, the God who makes promises and keeps them. When it's combined with the word God, capital G, little O, little D, the God Elohim, the God who creates out of nothing, if a God who makes powerful promises also has the power to create out of nothing, and those two things are put together, there are no set of circumstances that stand in a way when God makes his instructions clear to us. There's nothing that stands in his way that he cannot take care of in order for us to follow him in obedience. The names of God, who he is far more important to us who are mature than what he does. What he does is nothing more than an expression of who he is. So gentlemen here at Warrior's Heart, that's one of the things we want to learn. We believe that no matter what stands in our way of being an impactful, eternal influencer in the lives of other people, whatever makes us hesitate, this God who makes promises and keeps them is the same God who creates out of nothing, He has the power to bridge that gap and give us an opening in the life of someone who needs to know Jesus. Phenomenal thought, so that all might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. That is our testimony. It's not on what God will do for you, but who this God is, that you can have a personal relationship with him. When I think about the the possibilities of trying to remember things, and God's given my wife and my children, and and me, wonderful blessings of him intervening in our life. I, I remember this lesson because I started to collect a rock whenever time, whenever God did something special for me and my family. And I started collecting all these rocks. And I remember one day looking at all these rocks. I can't remember what the rocks represent. I mean, there are a bunch of rocks here. And I sort of had this vague idea, oh, yeah, I remember that. Oh, I think so. And I started to remember, realize that my forgetfulness was not only on forgetting what God did, but forgetting what the memory stones meant. Because there are so many, and they are just one rock is not any different than another rock. So I, I decided to try to adjust this for me personally. And so I started to collect something that was a little more meaningful. And I have in my office this, uh, this cabinet. And whenever I, I realize that God has done a special intervention in my life, I look for something that is a representation of that moment in my life. And I start to collect these things. Not just because I'm collecting memorabilia, but something that jogs my memory about what God has done. So one of the things inside here is is this. And for you who've been to the Philippines, you recognize this is a jeepney. I was invited uh, once to do uh, a week-long um, presentation in in uh, in Manila for a bunch of believers. And I said, "Hey, I'd be happy to do that." And I said, uh, "And I." Th- those were the days when I realized I should have asked more details before I said yes. And I uh, says, oh, by the way, since I'm coming, uh, how long do you want me to speak? And they said, oh, probably about uh, six hours, maybe seven hours a day for the five days that you're here. <laughs> and I thought to myself, oh, I should have asked before. <laughs> and then, uh, and then after, after we got all that settled, they told me what they wanted. I was really praying over and studying and working, putting all my materials together. And this was before fancy computers. I mean, I had to bring files of papers over. And then I got a letter from them about a week and a half before I went over, and they said, oh, by the way, since you're coming, we were wondering if you could do uh, something on prophecy for us. Two to gather some people together, and we could have just a little prophecy presentation. And, of course, you know, you want to you sound like a real willing servant, so he said, sure, no problem i 'm from DTS eschatology is a big not, not a big deal for us. I could do you know no problem, I could probably you know thirty minutes, forty minutes, probably they were thinking the group of people who were planning the entire uh, week long conference. so I said, sure, no problem And I, when I landed in Manila and I got into the airport, if you ever want to go to an airport that 's going to forever be a part of your memory you 've got to go to the Manila airport." I mean, people come in with crates of stuff off the conveyor belts and cages full of chickens. And, and uh, it's, it, it is an event when your family and friends come to the airport to pick you up. And I, no one warned me about this, so I got there. and said, man, this is really a really fascinating cultural experience. And I went down to the luggage carousel, and I looked up, and there were a bunch of people standing on some stairs and this big banner that was about eight or nine, ten people long. And they were holding up this banner. Welcome, Dr. Bruce Fong! beginning with a prophecy conference. I thought to myself, prophecy conference? I, I was going to go to the college and teach for a week. And the prophecy thing was, I thought, you know, 45 minutes at the most for just the leadership. And so I collected my luggage and I practiced my permanent smile and said, hey, great to see you Uh, what's this prophecy conference can you give me some more details said oh yeah no problem we're going to go right over there and uh i said but it's just eight o'clock in the morning they said, yeah it's going to be all day (laughs) i said oh really well how many people are coming they said oh we we rented the whole floor of that hotel so we think maybe five or six hundred people probably will come I says, oh, wonderful, all-day-long conference on prophecy. Well, fantastic. Who else is speaking? They say, oh, just you. You're the guest speaker. (laughs) So I had about uh, 45 minutes to prepare for an all-day prophecy conference when I was the only speaker. And, boy, I tell you, when when you start to pray your heart out and say, God, I don't want everyone to disappoint you and everyone to embarrass you, Man, I tell you, I I think I touched every every small minuscule part of my memory on what prophecy was about, and and uh, I don't know how in the world when the Spirit of God takes you and speaks through you and and it wasn't wasn't any kind of charismatics any expression. It was just man, I was amazed, and and I was totally exhausted at the end of that day, and I still had a week long of eight hour days to go on stuff, though, that I had prepared. So after that, the rest of the week was really easy because I had all this stuff ready for it. But I remember going at the end of that, they said, man, that was a, such a blessing. We've all wanted to know the answers of those questions. Let's, let's go out for dinner. I said, oh, great, sure, yeah, let's go out for dinner. He <laughs> said, let's give you a ride in the famous jeepney. So we jumped in the jeepney, and I, I'll never forget how fun it was to be with these people who loved Jesus Christ. And if they had so little that they could listen to a guy just talk off the top of his head about what prophecy was about, and find that so deeply satisfying, how little they had as far as someone who could teach them. And I thought, "God, you used one of your least prepared servants in the world to give them an all-day presentation that gave them such deep satisfaction. I, I don't know how you got, God, I don't know how you did it, but I will never forget the way that you carried me through this day. In writing that jeepney, I thought to myself, what a miracle. I never want to forget, when we give ourselves to the Lord, he actually works through us in powerful ways. So this jeepney reminds me of that moment in the Philippines, of all the training that I received at seminary and all the gratitude I had at that moment and for the amazing way which only God could have done it. Let me be a teacher for these people for that long on a subject that was not my area of expertise. I thought to myself, "Boy, God, I want to depend upon you every time I have the time to prepare, let alone when I don't have time to prepare, that I might serve you well." There's another another memory um, feature inside my my uh, cabinet, and it's, uh, you, you guys recognize this one of the seven dwarves? This is this is Doc. Uh, when, my, when my children were uh, at the ages of uh, four, six, and eight. And my wife uh, was overwhelmed when I walked in and said, hey, how about if we move to Scotland so I can do my Ph.D. studies? And she swallowed really hard. She says, sure, wherever God leads us, you will, you know. So we're going to leave our, the United States of America and go to a country that would never let me work because I was an alien because I wanted to pursue my postgraduate studies. And in the enthusiasm of doing all the research and talking to as many people as I could and getting their advice and counsel, the enthusiasm was absolutely overwhelmed. And when I got accepted and the, the, the head of the department wanted me to come, and I, he liked my ideas, and I thought, great, great, great. We counted the cost, and we thought if we sold everything, sold everything, we can get over there and get this thing going. And and I said to Yvonne, just, just so that we as a family can enjoy this, We're going to go to Disneyland, celebrate, leaving America to go on this great faith adventure. Then I remember it hit me like a ton of bricks when we were right there in Disneyland. And I became very worried. What in the world am I doing? I left my job. We have very limited savings. We sold everything we could. And I'm thinking, we've got enough maybe to make it for the first few months in a foreign country. And it's going to take a couple of years at least to get this thing going. I remember thinking to myself, what in the world am I thinking? And, and, and I was not enjoying Disneyland. And I was worried. And for the very first time in this whole process, I was thinking, what a stupid thing to do. It was my own personal effort. And I wasn't thinking of my wife and my kids. How can I provide for them? If I can't, I'm, I'm worse than a, an infidel. And my wife could tell that I was... Uh, pensive. She could tell that I was deep in thought and I wasn't enjoying Disneyland and she knew what I was thinking about. And I remember after, after we'd been at Disneyland for almost a whole day and I just wasn't enjoying it, I was just so lost in my second guessing. Yvonne walked up with the kids and they were all excited and she had this bag and she said, hey, the kids and I, we got you a gift. And I, and I opened it up and Doc was in there. And she says, we know this is a great step of faith for all of us. And we know that you are probably wondering whether or not you even have what it takes to finish up a Ph.D. program. But we want you to know we have faith and believe in you. I don't know if there was ever a grown man who cried for 30 minutes in Disneyland before. But I will never forget the faith expressed by my family through this gift. And I brought it with me to Scotland, and it sat on my desk during the entire time of all my studies. And it's still today one of my premier featured points in my memorial cabinet. But you know what's remarkable about my memorial cabinet? Whenever I bring guests in, they always ask, Oh, what's this? Oh, look at this. Oh, what are all these weird things in here? I get to point out one. I get to tell them about what God did. And it takes away a lot of the frustration of saying, you know, God's a miraculous God. He does miracles in our lives and interventions in our lives. And if you thought about some of the miracles that God has done in your life and some of the ways in which he visited your life and very clearly made his presence known and overwhelmed the circumstances because the God who creates out of nothing is going to keep the promises that he has made to you. And when those things in your past have happened, if you could pick an item so that you would never forget it, put on your desk. I can almost guarantee you that someone's going to come in your office and say, hey, this is pretty cool, what's this all about? And you don't have to break open the four spiritual laws or take them down the Romans Road. You don't have to convince them of your apologetic prowess. You can just say, this is what happened in my life, and you tell them the story of what God has done for you. And you watch the openings that will happen because of a story of what God has done for you. And they're going to say, man, if I could have a God like that who could visit my life when I need him, boy, I sure would welcome that. And boy, then do you have an opportunity to impact the life of someone. <clears throat> Joshua Ford, our lesson today, forgetfulness can actually be an asset if we can take advantage and give ourselves some visual reminders that tell and testify of God's good work in our lives. Table talk time, so enjoy the discussion on this whole fabulous lesson. Have a good time. Thank you for joining us on this week's podcast. We hope you can join us in person. We meet Thursday mornings at 6.30 a.m. in the Fellowship Center of Houston's First Baptist Church. For more details and to register, you can visit us on the web at warriorsheart.org. That's warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day.